You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hour on America's Web Radio. Today, this is your host, Charles Cook, back fresh from a, uh, a vacation day. I took a vacation. It was delightful. Um, a little bit out of the office time, uh, so we missed last week, but we have a special guest today. Um, I, I don't want to call him an old friend of mine because he's young, but, he, but I've known him for 20 years. Uh, today, we have Alan Orr with us. Alan, how are you? Alan, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can oh, you good. Now I can hear. Now it's great. Uh, for those of our listeners who don't know uh, Alan, he is yep. he runs a great uh, immigration practice or immigration Hello. in uh, uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, and uh, he uh, he practices Hello. employment employment law. Alan, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Oh, good. Just barely. I don't feel like I'm fully plugged in. Uh, well, David, he can barely I hear am. me. I'm can fully da- plugged in David's going to make some corrections here. Okay, great. Uh, so I'm you there. can hear me and. Yep. Uh, but I, I do want to introduce you, Alan. Uh, I first met Alan about, gosh, got to be about 20 years ago or so, uh, in, in the early days of, uh, of EB-5, um, when lots of crazy stuff was going on. Uh, Alan is today serving on the executive committee of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Uh, he is uh, just a fantastic lawyer uh, and, uh, and really at the cutting edge of a lot of fun stuff that's going on. I, I want to have him on the show today. Only because so much craziness is happening all at one time. And I kind of want to pick Alan's brain both about the craziness and how he deals with the craziness, especially as a member of ALEG's executive committee, which is, from my experience, literally at the tip of the spear of the loony, uh, uh, the loony edge of the law. So, Alan, thanks for joining me today. I sure appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Now, I want to make it first clear, uh, Trump didn't tweet about you today, right? No tweeting nope, about yet. you? Not yet. <laughs> Give it time. Uh, it may happen. Uh, but it's it's been really crazy to see the stuff that's happening in immigration. I, I want to start out with the first thing, because I got an email this morning from Georgia Tech. It was an email they sent to all their students, and they copied me on, uh, about the new, quote, new rules for foreign students. Uh, now, uh, Alan, I know you've, you've read the policy, but do we even understand the scope of these changes as they apply to student visa holders at this point? I think no one understands the scope, and no one understands the Russian implementation. But the most important thing to remember from all of this is that now a student can have consequences for a school, university, not doing something adequate. And they, in the past, uh, those have sometimes been remedied by immigration when they were discovered. But the the problem now is, as you mentioned, is we don't understand because this, these problems could surface 10 years from now. Exactly. 20 years from now. Exactly. Um, the memo I saw this morning from Tech was about, uh, hey, if you're in the last year of your Ph.D. program and you're not taking a full load, you have to do the following. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, and by the way, if we end up terminating you in SEVIS because you don't do this, we may be, or may not be able to help you. Um, and I can imagine a guy working on his nanonuclear technology program and now having to worry about, oh, my gosh, did I have 11 or 12 hours and did I fill out the stupid form to keep me legally in the United States? Right. Um, and and I and I'm not going to attack foreign uh, school advisors because they they have a terribly hard job to do keeping track of some schools of literally hundreds thousands of students. Um, but it's it's a job that it's a, it's a visa you can very easily screw up. Exactly. 
Um, and, and it's actually low-hanging fruit. Students coming to the United States are not a threat to our economy and not generally a threat to our national security. As far as I can tell, we've never had a problem with it. I mean, right. the students we have, of course, the, M, the old M1s that flew planes into 9-11, but uh, CVIS was supposed to take care of that. And it has. And it has. Right. And then we've had nothing has. ever so since. If you're worried about student overstays, this is not the way to address it. And I know it's probably been your experience like mine. I do a little I did a little I do a little work for a country in the Middle East and uh, when one of their students falls out of status, ICE appears on their doorstep within twenty four hours. Exactly. Um, exactly and so right. uh, they might not be true for if you're from Norway, but if you're from the Middle East ICE is going to be there on top of, on top of your problem, and so I, I only picked on stu- the student visa thing first because it's it's just an example of a lot of the other craziness that's going on. Well, also it's an example of a long game because what this does is this implementation that sort of happened with people who've been to school for years that now have to have a duality of keeping up status during the summer and all these other strange requirements that they've never had to do before, which are complex and difficult, is backlogged the service for processing for everyone. So that's one thing. It slows down overall processing. But two, it gives an individual a chance to make a mistake today that may not come back and haunt them to eight years later. So I have tons of clients who have gone through their non-immigrant status. They did, a, they did a student. They went to H-1B. They were able to sort of do that, get their H-1B, work in their H-1B status. And then it comes time to adjust. Mm-hmm. And the government does this extreme vetting. And then they see this problem with the CVIS records, right? And there's no remedy under current law, so therefore they're not able to adjust it. They basically have to go out of the country at this point. And possibly concert process, or possibly they have a 10-year bar. Exactly. Because the, the other change... With not only are these policies putting you out of status, but you then now, as of August 9th, begin accumulating unlawful presence. Exactly. And unlawful presence is going to be a massive problem going forward for a lot more people than we can possibly imagine. You know, it's interesting, as I was sitting here thinking about this, the, the federal government has sprung this surprise on people, and, may, and, and although they haven't made it retroactive, it will be retroactive for many people because they're not going to know about it. Exactly. At the same time, the Supreme Court comes down, uh, in, in Pereira and, and, and establishes what I see is a very clear standard to, to actually be legally in deportation proceedings. You must have a, a, a notice to appear done exactly as law requires, and the government's taking a position, oh, no, but we can cure that. And so what's good for the goose apparently is not good for the gander right now. Because well, they, and, it, and it creates this chaos, right? Because yep. now, I mean, I think for the normal person, this is what I say. Imagine you got a traffic ticket, and in most cases, if the ticket isn't filled out in the right way, when you go to traffic court, the judge will dismiss it, even if the police officer is there in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. You didn't document it the correct way, right? This is important. <laughs> and, that, and that's called subject matter jurisdiction, right? Exactly. Alan? Subject matter jurisdiction. And in this case, individuals are being put in deportation, and people aren't taking the care to make sure that the things are correct, right? This mm-hmm. is a very serious matter. Yep. Right? So the Supreme Court was right to say, if you can't fill out this form, people don't deserve to be in deportation. But the problem is that courts are so backlogged and things are so uncertain and unclear that now attorneys are sort of going back in and saying, look, I'm going to challenge this NTA, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're going through this hassle that you're sort of talking about with the court saying, oh, well, we'll just come back and do it again. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is, well, we cured it because you showed up for court yeah. uh, when we sent you notice. But that's not what the Supreme Court said. Uh, And I I love the fact that in some courts they're citing precedent from 1838 
Um, and I'm sort of thinking, are they going to cite Penoyer next? Is, and I, then I realized Penoyer is about personal jurisdiction, and this is about subject matter jurisdiction. And this is what happens when you have courts that aren't real courts and judges that aren't real judges. Exactly. As part of this. So as, as part of your chaos theory, and this, you know, now I'm feeling like Maxwell Smart. Uh, this, is, this is actually part of a plan, isn't it? This is not randomly, we're randomly doing stuff. This is actually part of a greater scheme uh, that's been in, in the works for decades within the anti-immigration movement, who yes. now have access to the halls of power, at least in the White House, with the ability to do in a great deal of mischief uh, that has that has been able to be been beat back over the years. That's, this chaos is actually it is it, it is a function of the government. It is not a bug. Well, and that's interesting about this. Now, yesterday, I'm sure you saw this fantastic article in Politico uh, by the uncle of Stephen Miller. Absolutely. I mean, really, one of, the, one of the best articles I have read in quite some time. I don't know if you read about who he is. He's a retired neuroscience professor from Harvard or Yale. Or something. The guy's got serious credentials. Um, but he points out what you and I have been saying on the ground for the last two years. Be careful about Trump, not only because... It's a nightmare anyway. But the people surrounding him from Jeff Sessions all the way down have an, have an agenda, and they're going to carry that agenda out. And Trump has bought fully into that agenda, which he may not have had before, but certainly has at this point. Right. So the Grassley staffer and the Sessions have basically taken an old Republican platform for immigration mm-hmm. and sort of put it in full action, and they're moving so fast that there are typos, there's inconsistencies, and there's definitely a change in law. And I think that that's sort of what is sort of edging. But I think for me, you know, when I step outside of the lawyer world, I go, most of this is political, right? Mm -hmm. This is to say to your constituents that I ran on immigration and I've done something about immigration, even in fact if you haven't done something about immigration other than cause chaos. Because that's that's what's happening right now. And you see this interesting conundrum that comes up that they are changing rules and policies and potentially regulations so fast that the people in charge of carrying out policies, the employees of USCIS and ICE and CBP, literally don't understand what's going on. Exactly. They just don't understand what's going on. I want to Which tell you, a great cost to our client. Oh, no. What it, I think it's people sort of immigration, in, in my understanding of immigration, and I was a Reagan Republican. As was I. Those only of us out there. That we're out there, you know. <laughs> that, that immigration is not a political party issue, right? It is sort of what, it's one of the functions of the United States, just like anything else. Taxes, sort of getting it right is the function. But mm-hmm. now it's sort of become super political. And that any immigration is bad. So having a large immigration pool is bad. But in that continuum, when you think about immigration, if you continue to increase all things, that are illegal in some sense, or people are knocking people out of status, inning DACA, inning TPS, mm-hmm. when in fact you already have 20 million people plus who are here undocumented, right? Sort of continuing to increase what you would call as unrecognized immigrants here is not a solution to your immigration problem, right? Uh, absolutely not. In fact, you're creating a larger problem. Exactly. Now, now, there are those that have solutions like Ted Cruz. He wants to add 150 more immigration judges. Um, which would, of course, you know, add well, 30, 40 percent. <laughs> it's not a solution, right? Problem, right? But first of all, where are you going to get those lawyers right. that are willing to sell their soul to become an immigration judge? Right. Uh, and second, even if you did that, 
then there's nobody with real experience that would become a judge. Uh, and you still have to deal with the due process implications of the law. Now, that they want to get around that by literally eliminating due process. That's Jeff Sessions' thing, right. where you replace immigration judges. Steve Morley is a great example. Now, Steve Morley, I'm sure you know, was an immigration lawyer for years, a great immig- really good immigration lawyer, but he's been a judge for, gosh, it's got to be a decade already. Uh, and by all accounts, a very fair judge to both sides. And he decides that he, he just needs more information from the government about the service of process of these notices to appear, and they apparently call Sessions, uh, who then gets uh, uh, McHenry to send in an ACIJ, to just literally replace Morley on numerous cases right. in which he had done this. You know, so when you, what you can't do indirectly, apparently, at least in the context of immigration court, you can do directly if you're an attorney general hell-bent on eliminating legal immigration to America. Right. And that's and anyone who's an American who thinks about justice, your police officer should not also be your judge in any situation. No, and, and, and they the clearly problem. are here. This is I mean this, and, and you know it's funny, you and I have been in this boat for a very long time. Right. Uh, and so for us it's it's sad, it seems kind of normal to us. Mm-hmm. But when you take that step back as you just mentioned and look at it from a real person point of view, you go WTF I mean, what? What you're doing? What the police are doing? What here? Uh, this is like a scene out of out of a movie, uh, like Judge Dredd, for goodness' sakes. Uh, and, and you've got uh, right now uh, Sylvester Stallone is being played by Jeff Sessions, uh, and and he and is just like doing crazy stuff. What I like to say to my clients stuff. and to any other individual in public is to sort of say, generally, we all love movies, we all love cinema. That if you were to go to a movie theater. These individuals who are not receiving due process are the people you pull for. They are the heroines or the people who suffer in movies that you would applaud, whether they bring their family thousands of miles to try to apply for a lawful process at the border, or they're here in a a circumstance that has been difficult and they somehow lost their status and they're trying to regularize their status in a legal way, Mm -hmm. or they've been here legal for years and the government now finally decides 10 to 15 years later to knock on their door when they have U.S. citizen children and a wife, and they're trying to just exist. And, and that's why the press does so many stories about this now. And one of the rules I didn't tell you about our show is we take breaks every 15 minutes or so. Okay. So we take our first quick break and come back. And I want to talk about this due process thing, that okay. pesky constitution thing. We'll be back in just a second on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to the Immigration Hour, America's Web Radio. We have our amazing uh, guest today is Alan Orr. Uh, Alan, uh, you actually grew up here in Georgia, isn't that right? I did. Uh, it, but you didn't grow up in the hustle-bustle of the big city, did you? No, I didn't. I grew up in a small town called Valdosta, which now is growing to be the hustle-bustle of a big city. <laughs> but you seem to have lost your southern accent, um, Alan. The debate will do that for you. <laughs> And you are also a Morehouse grad, aren't you? I am. Uh, that's am. awesome. That is just to- totally awesome. Um, Alan, I want to I want to talk with this this pesky due process thing, um, because it appears that at least some people in our federal government, including the Attorney General, don't think that should apply to immigrants. Uh, why is it important that actually it applies to everybody? Well, because that's what we sort of that's who we are, right? One what the Constitution says. It doesn't, the Constitution doesn't use the word citizens in it. It uses right? the word person, so that's right? A, that's yeah. just a, a structural argument. B, it's who we are. When we start deciding who gets due process and who doesn't get due process, it sort of rewinds us back to the 60s and the 30s, and we start having the problems that we had before where certain groups of individuals are considered less than mm-hmm. other groups of individuals. So just on the general platform, we want to be clear. And what due process means is just a fair process. It doesn't mean an end result. Some people, in fact, may be deported and should be deported, right? But all it means is that you have your right of a fair and partial hearing. And I think that people need to be clear about that, right? Arguing due process doesn't mean open border. Those, don't, those things aren't the same. They aren't the same thing, are they? And, and, but but it, it behooves the, the, the nativists to try to conflate that that you can't be given due process because then that encourages illegal immigration to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's actually the opposite. I think due process uh, actually de- decreases illegal immigration to America because mm-hmm. once people realize, okay, there's going to be a process in place, I don't need to come illegally. Um, or I don't need to try to sneak in. I can go to the border. But then you have the, this other chaos being created at the border. I want to just bring the focus on that a second, mm-hmm. where people actually are following the rules showing up at a bridge or a port of entry and then be in a saying I want asylum and then being turned away. That's actually illegal. That's correct. Under our system. That that's that's actually breaking federal law by rejecting people at the border. Federal and international. Right. We and we have an international treaty obligations. We might not care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's like who cares about our treaty obligations at this point? Uh her emails. Uh, so it's it's got a, an interesting connotation to it where you follow the rules, and you are still uh, cast as a lawbreaker uh, exactly when, right. when, in fact, you're trying to do what's right. My, my, one of these favorite things that came up recently, just yesterday, you've heard the story about this, this couple in Colorado whose poor four-year-old is going to be deported, right? Right. Uh, there's, what, what those stories lack, of course, is context right. uh, about what's going Oh, my God, we're going to deport a four-year-old? Well, you know, let's look. Let's look at this, actually, what happened. They, uh, he is Peruvian. They adopted the child in Peru following the Hague Convention. But then, somehow, I, know, I don't know how, they got a visitor visa for this kid. And they're, and they're both permanent residents. So instead of staying in Peru and fulfilling the two-year residence requirement with the child, right. they said, hey, we'll go to the United States on a visitor visa. Uh, and so they do. They go to Colorado. And now the visitor fee is running out. Oh, my God, have you put my child? Well, one, you kind of broke the rules um, in in not following the Hague Convention, which is a whole other show at a different different point. But more importantly, why didn't you extend the child's status? How long have you been a permanent resident? When when can you apply for citizenship? 
Uh, and so the press has made this story about this horrible, you know, heart-wrenching story about an, a, a process for a kid whose parents maybe didn't exactly follow the law correctly, but have been ignoring the people who are following the law correctly and are still suffering as a result. Exactly. And I think the stories together are, are interesting, the way you sort of put them together, and mm-hmm. I think that that's a great way. But for me, you know, being a child of the South and thinking about Southern conditions and communities and resources and just education, and I grew up in a community where, you know, you had a kid at 16 or 18, right? Right, And you might not have been the best parent for, for that, whatever reason, mm-hmm. right? But you wouldn't let someone from the government come and take your child away from you of without proving that you were able to sort of take care of the child first, right? There mm-hmm. needs to be a problem before they take the kid. So that's number one. But, but Alan, but Alan, what about these people? But we, if you go to jail, we take your kid away. Yeah. With and, due process. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because you've been through court first, right? Right, you exactly. you hearing and all that sort of stuff in, the, in, the, in that case. So I just think that that's, that's extremely problematic to sort of strip families. In addition, being a child of the South and knowing how hard conditions can be, people die early. Family situations change. Maybe mama had a drug problem and now grandma's keeping you, or your playground mama's keeping you. Mm-hmm. Family connections through blood is not the only way to show that someone is parental to someone. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who's adopted a kid or anyone who works in adoption space or foster space should be extremely upset that the government is saying to people, you know, oh, your blood doesn't match. You're not the parent of this kid. Mm-hmm. Extremely problematic. It, it, it is. And, and the other problematic thing, which the press has talked about a little bit but not paid a lot of attention to, is that ICE actually had the phone numbers of these parents and withheld them uh, from, the, from the people trying to contact the parents to reunite them. They literally hid the children uh, from their parents. Exactly. This is insane. I mean, it, it, how Kristen Nielsen still has a job is beyond me. Uh, only and me as well. I mean, and I she, think she's a smart individual. I thought she would have been much better. I, I, out of everyone in, in the cabinet, I thought she was among the smarter, but apparently not. Uh, I think but she's in bought this, into this. Has, hasn't she actually bought into, as Kelly has, uh, bought into the anti-immigrant, as Ivanka and, and Jared have, yeah. bought into the Stephen Miller, maybe he's a Svengali, who the heck knows, but yeah, bought exactly. into this anti-immigration rhetoric that has no basis in reality or fact. Well, for me... Because these actions are criminal, and I mean criminal in an international in a, law. No, no, absolutely, I agree. Absolutely. Right, so now you sort of have to dig your hole. You picked your team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And if you're going to say, well, no, it, you know, he had to do this. No, this, this is stuff. And thank God for the press shining the light on this. And really, the heroes in all this are immigration lawyers. Exactly. Uh, we were the ones screaming from the rooftops, what the heck is going on? This is not how the system works. Uh, and the willing accomplices at, at, uh, uh, at DRO, uh, these are the people at ICE as well as those at CBP uh, that are in charge of incarceration. Uh, and, you know, as HSI has pointed out recently, that's not us. Uh, that's not us doing this stuff. Uh, well, and they, HSI made some real willing know, accomplices. statements about they knew what was going to happen when they did it. They did it anyway. They did it. They, they literally did not care. Uh, Nielsen knew exactly what was going to happen. Now, you know, Trump shouldn't be the only one uh, worried about Congress, uh, about the House becoming Democrat, because they should impeach Nielsen. She has engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors. Exactly. Uh, right. And I she should be impeached. If she's able to travel. Oh, man. She, internationally. Uh, I, don't, I, I can't imagine that she's not going to be brought up for indictment in the International Criminal Court at some right. point. Well, uh, 
but I also think, you know, in our conversation today, if we go back to just the American sort of understanding of our society, the problem is Congress, our mm-hmm. legislative branch. Ineptness, ineffectiveness, they can deal with bills, they can pass this, they can pass that, but they haven't looked at immigration since 2005, and in my mind, they haven't really looked at it since 1996. I agree. I haven't so checked they it all since then. Go on. So your so whole you career, you've branches, dealt with this nightmare like this. The judiciary branch and the executive branch playing fire between each other. Mm-hmm. And the great or the troubling thing is the executive branch can do something today and implement it today, right? Yep. Judiciary may come in and say that's not okay, but it's the time that it takes them to come in. And well, it takes, it okay. takes months and months or even a few years to do that for exactly. the judiciary to correct. Now, thank God the judiciary has been willing to step in in the TRO situation and mm-hmm. do stuff relatively quickly on a few things. Uh, but they can't, for example, fix right away the student visa stuff. Uh, they're not going to fix the TPS problem right away. They're clearly not fixing the DACA problem right away. Uh, but these are all things that are causing, and, and they certainly can't fix, uh, the, the, the what, what would you call it, the interrogation of business visa applicants for their exactly. green, at their green card time uh, because that's really a policy decision. They can't really get involved in that. So the things that the, the, the Miller-Grassley-Sessions wing of the the GOP, the very far right on immigration, are doing or having an immediate effect that is that is not going to be corrected for a long time after these guys are gone. Exactly. Uh, and you know, understanding there's willing accomplices in the government. There have been those few specialists that said, you know what, I quit. I will not be part of this. But exactly. the greater majority, are like, well, you know, administrations come, administrations go. I'm just going to keep my head down and do my job and get my pension. Um, and having just traveled for a week in Germany. That scares me. And it should. It it's, should scare everyone as to what the world thinks of us, but also who are we becoming. Because if we treat individuals this way, who we say are not us, and we're not even sure they're not us, they could be us, right? Yeah. I, I know a lot of people who have claims to U.S. citizenship from our soldiers working abroad or being in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I made the point today was to say, you know, midterms are happening, primaries are happening in states today. That is how you get involved in the immigration. You need to talk to and support individuals who have an understanding of what the immigration policies are with regards to humanitarian procedures. They don't have to be about, you know, it's not about open borders. It's about due process and justice and who we are. Yeah, and and also what's doing right for America. Closing our borders is an economically stupid thing to do. Economically, societally, it's a stupid thing to do. Uh, If you want to shrink the U.S. economy long term... Reduce legal immigration because if you don't have because we don't have a growing a growing population without immigration. Shrink it if you want our economy to shrink. But if you well, want our economy, to, you know, I mean, it's insane. This year alone, student visas were down. Was it twenty percent? I think that's really important. No students come here; they pay full price up front and support universities that mm-hmm. our our kids and family go to, as well as add to the educational value there because in some places there are countries around the world that are more advanced in some technology than we are. That's mm-hmm. Understand that, right? Education is different in different places, right? And so now the student visas are down. This year, after hearing about how the H-1 cap is being treated and wage one problems as well mm-hmm. as specialty occupation problems and buy American, high American, companies are deciding, you know, maybe we're not going to plan this H-1 anymore. We're just going to open our operation abroad so we can hire the individuals abroad and not deal yeah, with that. Yeah, it's not like they're not hiring the people. Exactly. They're just not hiring them here, exactly. which is bad for us long term. Exactly. But for multinational corporations like Google actually is, like Facebook actually is, 
To them, it doesn't matter. Okay, we'll put we'll put the guy in Bangalore instead of instead of Birmingham. All right, no big deal. Uh, it's just all on the same computer. They're going to get their work done. <laughs> but right, we're the, the ones. Challenge that I have with that is that every American <coughs> company is so American, right? Mm-hmm. They tell the Republican line. Most of them, they support the Republican Party. Most of them. Then why would we have the consideration to not just let the market decide who is needed? There's no other way, right? Why would an American not hire an American? Why does that need to be regulated at all? Isn't a company in the best place to make those decisions with regards to who can do that job than anyone else? Absolutely. It's troubling to me. To now, let's, that ta- let's take our belief. next break here, uh, and we're going to come back. I want you to talk about, in that vein, Harley Davidson when we come back yes. here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verifying your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio with our guest today, Alan Orr of Orr Immigration and uh, AILA Executive Committee member. Alan, I, I left our last segment off by, by mentioning Harley-Davidson because you were talking about shouldn't American companies decide who they should be able to hire? And if they, if, if they can't find a qualified U.S. worker, great. I mean, who cares if they hire a foreign national? They're making a job here. And yet you have Harley-Davidson who now says, you know what? We're done making stuff here. We just, we, we just can't do it. We just can't do it. So in, in my lifetime, this is just an interesting thing. In my lifetime, and being from the South, I've actually watched the textile industry leave the United States mm-hmm. because that was such a big part of the South, between the cotton mm-hmm. and sort of manufacturing it and making it and making clothes and Levi's and mm-hmm. all those things that just were truly American, right? And then as the globe became bigger and you could produce it in places for less and have less people do that sort of work, then you sort of watch that move forward, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this again with these tariffs. Because what Harley Davis is saying is, because of the tariffs, <laughs> right, <laughs> which have an impact on immigration in our company, it's cheaper for us to make these things elsewhere, right, mm-hmm. and not have these costs. And not understanding the intersexuality, the intersection of all these things together is the problem of our administration. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. Each of these things have an effect on other things, but when you have people who have literally no experience in economics, in social policy, in immigration – authorizing these decisions, you're going to get chaos. And it goes back to the initial term that you use, the absolute chaos. Now, I want to ask you about another piece of chaos that is brewing out there that is causing extraordinary consternation in the immigrant community, and that is the secret plans on public charge. Now, we know the public charge rules have been around since about, I think it's 1917. 
when they went into our immigration law, so just a little over 100 years ago. Uh, and back then, you could post a, a $500 bond if you were sponsoring somebody, um, and that, that would ensure that they, for a period of time they weren't going to be public, uh, become a public charge, and you, you're fine, you get cleared it. But the administration now wants to retroactively look at the not only the individuals but the family sponsors or other mem- or individual members of the family's use of public monies in in some ways uh, to exactly. deny them immigration benefits, including things like access to the ACA, exactly, which is mandatory. So literally, if you're an American citizen and you use the benefit, the public benefit available for the ACA, that would mean you wouldn't be able to sponsor somebody for who knows how long even if you were madly in love with them. Right. Well, here's some of the... So, first, that was ultra-political. Right? Oh, no, that's all, it's all politics, isn't it? Right. They didn't have to announce it. They didn't have to leak it. At the time they leaked yeah. it, they were shifting the narrative for me in the news. Yep. Because you could have waited until it was a drafted policy and just put it forward. So, one, that, that's way. Two, as a good lawyer, you're not going to retroactively imply that to anyone. Oh, that's clearly not. Clearly no not going to retroactive. Clearly yeah, not. So, forget that story. <laughs> Now, sort of move it forward in the problematic way of having a conversation with someone about this is, I am 40 years plus, right? If someone were to ask me, have I received public assistance, I would go, no, I never was on food stamps, I never got WIC, I never got any of those things as a child, totally fine, mm-hmm. right? We've already discussed that I went to Morehouse. Well, at my time at Morehouse, I received a Pell Grant. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, as did I. I'd be right here, I got my Pell Grant. That's how I, that's why I paid I for tuition. I didn't that as public assistance at the time, no. I mean... Right? I thought of that as, give me my money, I need to get my education. Yeah, I have my tuition today, right? I grant back, right? I think I've already have. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know, hope I have at this point. Doing goodwill and advancing culture and, you know, doing these things. So that's how it becomes problematic. They want to penalize you for something that was so far back, right, that there's clearly a record of, that there's always this gotcha game. Well, and then, of course, if you're asked about it and you don't disclose it because, hell, I don't remember I got a Pell Grant or not, if they find out, then you lied to them. Exactly. And if you lied to them on the federal form, now you're guilty of perjury. Exactly. Now you can go to prison. It's the, it's the criminalization of civil immigration law. That's exactly right. Uh, and you know what's interesting? Many of our officials can't remember what they said last week. Well, well, or even, or even apparently, you know, even about the president's meeting with uh, with with, uh, with people. Yeah, um, exactly. So here's here's a question about this on, on this because what this has done and I, I and you've made a good point this was designed to get something else out of the news but also it has another factor it's designed to scare people exactly a, a lot of these policies as they're reported especially in the ethnic press I do a lot of Spanish and a lot in the ethnic press doesn't accurately report or at least it's not reported in a way that's easily understood that these are ideas people are thinking about, rather than the emails I got afterwards, I just heard on Univision that these new rules went into place. Exactly. Well, no, one, there is no new rule. We don't even have a proposed rule. We have a memo that leaked. But it's designed to scare people uh, into not using the benefits they are legally entitled to use. I think that's super important for this reason. I believe we live in a world of scare immigration. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because the task or the goal is to scare the American against the foreign national. Mm-hmm. So Americans are scared. They're coming here. They're killing us. They're all MS-13, mm-hmm. all of them, Yep. right? Not regular percentages like they are the United States. And not to forget that MS-13 was started in California. <laughs> exactly. It was, we created so, a damn thing. But then for the immigrant, the concept is 
to scare you to apply for a benefit. If you're a non-immigrant coming here for school or whatever, if you don't maintain your status, it's a problem. If you're coming here to work at a company, is there a U.S. worker that could be taking that job, or are you really a specialty occupation, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of problematic thing. And, and, and just to focus on that, I think people should know that the Department of Labor has taken 100,000 jobs <laughs> and made them, not literally, but figuratively, 2,000 jobs. And when you do that type of averaging, some people in those professions may not have bachelor's degrees. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that our clients in their world don't require bachelor's degrees. And that's the problematic argument that's happening right there mm-hmm. in that sort of space. But then, if you're a green card holder in the United States, and you've finally saved enough cash to naturalize, the government is saying, be fearful of naturalization, because if you go to naturalize, we may deport you. Because we're going to go back, and we're going to go through your file with a fine-tooth comb all the way back to that visitor visa application in 1995, where you said you were married when, in fact, you were single. Uh, and that little lie uh, that, that may have made a difference or not difference in getting you a visitor visa, you will now be held accountable. And I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, Alan, uh, I had a consultation with a, with a guy who works for a large foreign manufacturing company here in the South. As you know, there's lots of these foreign companies here in the South. Uh, and he went to his adjustment of status interview. Uh, he had been on an e-visa for, my gosh, almost 12 years. And finally, his employer decided to do a labor certification for him. Unfortunately, uh, they picked a lawyer who, who thought it was easier and cheaper uh, for the company to find a job that had a lower wage mm-hmm. rather than the position he was using, what, the position he was in. And so when he went to the interview his, by himself, because somebody, somebody told him, oh, you can't have a lawyer at that interview, three hours later and a 12-page sworn statement later, they're asking him for a fraud waiver, which, of course, he's not eligible to file since he has no qualifying relatives, mm-hmm. because of something that he put on, that was put on his first E-2 visa application almost 15 years ago. And that is the consequence. So you, what you're trying to do is scare people into not applying for a green card, scare them into not applying for citizenship. And by doing that, in these ideas, the fewer immigrants you can, you can have that come, that come legally or stay, the better. They win, whether they change the law or not. And in a fairness way, because this is something that I'm really going to promote through the rest of my term in AILA, mm-hmm. is sort of a statute of limitation. I, I mean, there is none right now, right? So all our listeners are, are, don't know immigration law. No matter what happened or when it happened, you're liable for it. Exactly. Period. End of story. And that doesn't happen anywhere else in jurisprudence in the United States. Nope. Nowhere else does it happen, right? If something's known, and generally you do nothing along the baseline for five years, no enforcement, no action taken, you cannot go back and do that. And that's problematic for everyone. Well, if we, if we could ever get Congress... Mistakes are things that happen so far in the past, you forgot about them, and nobody's perfect. And, you know, it's interesting. We had a version of that uh, as part of amnesty in 1986, mm-hmm. uh, where there was nothing that you said or did in your application for amnesty could be used against you in the future. Uh, and that's the last time we had a version of, uh, of a sort of statute of limitations. Because everything else, no matter when it happened, no matter how minor it is, can by the government be considered fraud. Now, you and I, when we went to law school, we learned there were nine elements of fraud. Uh, 
Um, how many? I'm sorry, excuse me, how many elements of fraud do you think immigration considers fraud to have? Well, yeah, none. Okay, if something is is not correct, that's fraud to them. Right. You know, they just jump right to the fraud bar uh, and say, "Oh, well, you lied. This is a lie. It's not true. It could be a fraud." When it can be interpreted various ways. Now, this guy that came in, we're going to go back and look at his visa applications and uh, and and try to respond to this re- this quote request for evidence and say, "Look." funny face, you can't do a fraud waiver, and by the way, you're wrong, there's no fraud here, and therefore he doesn't right. need a waiver. Um, and we will have to end up litigating. I told this guy, they're going to find, they're going to rule against you. Exactly. Uh, and so we're going to fight this in immigration court. And it was funny, because he goes, well, can't I just appeal it? I said, you don't appeal adjustment of statuses. Exactly. You go to immigration court, and, uh, and right there is where you fight this. But I think, I told him, look, I think we're going to win this, ultimately, because I don't think what happened here was fraud in any way. But, but it still was an unwise move by your lawyer to tell you to do this. Uh, yeah. Well, the wage was high. Well, okay, well, then tell your employer to give you a damn raise. Uh, it's just making up a job. Um, but it's been really fascinating to see this in a lot of contexts, because if you go back five or six years, even three years, somebody says to you, Alan, hey, I've got my imp- I, they've given me an interview of my family case. Do I need a lawyer? Ah, you know, what's wrong with you? Oh, it's a good marriage, you know. It's Nah, you would be fine. Would you give that advice today? No. No! I mean, on any application. On any, on none. There, nothing should you not have a lawyer. You right. literally... That's in both, because now I'm exposed as a lawyer as well. Yeah. And the individual. We're, all, we're both on the line. Right? We're, we're both there. And, and so w- you need to have a lawyer at your interview, no matter what that interview is for. Oh, but my, my I don't lie on my application. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you think you didn't lie on the application. What matters is you want to keep that officer in line. Uh, we had a client who we, was a marriage-based case recently, and we said, look, you need a lawyer at your interview. Oh, my, my marriage is real. I look, you, you need, I don't care if it's real. You need a lawyer. And even if we say nothing, our physical presence that, there actually helps keep USCS online, or at least we can actually ask for a supervisor, which you're not going to know how to do. And they'll listen to us. Uh, no, no, I don't I also think about the resources that are involved. Oh, it's just insane. These issues that are not national security breaks. No, this is just insane. This is just stupid stuff. So he, does, he doesn't use a lawyer, goes to his interview, and what happens? They separate them. And he comes back, and he's got like a four-page RFE. This is actually a real marriage. I know this guy. This is, I mean, I know his wife. I mean, but literally, a two-hour interview later, and they're accusing him of fraud. That would not have happened if a lawyer had been at that interview. But these guys chose to be penny wise and pound foolish, and therefore they went forward. You just can't do that anymore. Even even applying for visas, you you can't do it. I do a lot of speaking outside the country on how how to apply for visitor visas and stuff like that. And people are surrounded. People surround these U.S. consulates. They're notarios. They are helpers. They help prepare applications. And what they do is they, they tell you to lie. Well, say that you're married. Say that you have this. Say that you have that. And you have a better chance of getting the visa which may be true, but will also ultimately end up costing you big time on the back end. Absolutely. Hey, let's take our final break here, and we'll come back and finish our podcast here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley. Y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? 
If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Alan, I'm just so grateful to have you on our show today. Um, Ayla has done some remarkable stuff in the last 18 months. Uh, in, in not only helping immigration lawyers be better at what we do, uh, but I think Ayla has really come out of kind of a shadow uh, as being a national leader in this whole immigration debate. Um, one of the fun things, and I think the most impactful thing they've done, is really focus on litigation. Um, what do you see going forward as Ayla's role in, in really holding the administration accountable to the law itself? So, one, it's our collective knowledge. Hey, being the knowledge experts on all of these things to sort of say, you know, to be the one that says this is a change in law that gets you to the lawsuit in the first place, and using the strategy of our network to decide the best places to litigate the suits, uh, which I think is ultimately important. But Ayla's primary goal right now is to hold the line, and we used to hold the line with liaison with the government. And we have tons of meetings that we used to go in and say, listen, you might not have known this, Here's what really happens, right? Just from the mm-hmm. matter of saying... That's you know, back we when we had liaison. That's back when we had liaison, right? Yeah. yeah. And so now they've sort of turned to these wide stakeholder meetings, which really gives you no impact on the government. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we're at a case where we're saying, we're not going to take these random denials anymore, or these random changes, so we are going to sue. And we actually have a task force put together to create and mandate the right place to litigate how to litigate, and what issues we're going to litigate. Because we have all know that you can also go to court and litigate and get a really bad decision mm-hmm. for everyone. Bad facts so make bad law. As we exactly. Know. you got to pick the right case. You need the right litigants, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, being a person of color, it does remind me a little bit of the NAACP back when they mm-hmm. were sort of charging against these sort of broad policies, mm-hmm. of sort of staking out the right place to make the case. I will tell you honestly, though, being former Republican and understanding how the party works, that they are ahead of us in this in this race. Oh, right they now. are. They the absolutely are. The government is very clear about where they're bringing their suits. Right now, you see the DACA cases moving forward in Texas. Right. Right. Mm. So they know which judges to go before. They know which arguments to make. They know where they'll be successful. Now, Ayla's not, of course, doing this alone. No. Uh, Ayla has really developed some very strong and powerful relationships with other national litigation. Uh, entities, as well as a number of private, large law firms mm-hmm. willing to litigate against the administration on these social issues. And I'll give you a great example. Right now, as a member of this litiga- aforementioned litigation task force, we are ready to proceed on our litigation against the government, and it's not secret because Glasgow already told the government, we're going to sue on the student regulations. And we already have plaintiffs, large, big plaintiffs, and we already have a firm. Uh, and as we put together the complaint uh, and, and ask for an injunction, which I imagine we're getting this done in the next next little bit, it is going to have a national impact. But this is the, and, and something what I argue when I was back involved in ALA leadership, uh, was 
the courts are our only salvation uh, against this. And and honestly, we have to get to the courts before Trump destroys them as well. Uh, the Senate's at a breakneck pace in appointing people that, you know, in many cases shouldn't be on the bench. Um, well, I think the courts is a, a remedy. I also think, and I believe this from everything about me, that Congress is the place that holds the key to the kingdom. Uh, well, that's what the Constitution says, right? So we have to make sure, and AILA is a non-political entity. Exactly. So AILA doesn't, have, uh, and people like you and me who are former Reagan Republicans, right? Right, uh, exactly. We, we have, uh, we know where the GOP could go on this. We, we are apocalyptic about the fact that our party has disappeared that we used to know. I do believe Reagan is rolling over in his grave at this very moment. Uh, at, the, at the idea of what's going on. Uh, but at the same time, we have to speak up uh, and make sure that both parties understand, because this immigration is not a party issue, that there is a right and a wrong on this issue, and we are headed in the wrong direction right now. Exactly. That's the most important thing right now. And, and that's where the American population should stand up and vote, right? Our voting percentages are super low, and they should not be that low. And disenfranchised or disinterested millennials it's time to decide what country you want to inherit. I mean, they have the power to vote. It was a great article the other day that the non-voters decided the last election. Exactly. Uh, and you know, for here in Georgia, your home state, uh, which you don't currently vote in right now, but if you're no. moving here, it would be really nice. Uh, we have an amazing candidate for governor, and then we have the GOP candidate, uh, who is exactly. wildly unqualified to be governor of this state. Uh, yet, it, it will depend on the turnout of what has historically been disenfranchised minorities and young voters, uh, along with disgruntled GOP people like me, that could actually make this election happen positively uh, for a, an extraordinary candidate, Stacey Abrams, for, for governor. Exactly. Um, and but you know, but we look at the national election and we say, okay, if if sixty-seven percent of all Americans, what was it, sixty-seven percent of all Americans, including like. 70% of Republicans think that we should have DACA kids should get green cards, uh, that TPS is a good idea, that we need to actually increase legal immigration. Where are they voting? They're not, they're not voting what they believe. Exactly. Uh, or they feel constrained to vote for the guy because maybe abortion is their issue or maybe they're, they're another one-issue candidate and that's the person they have to support. But one thing that gave me a glimmer of hope this last week, maybe it was about two weeks ago, was the House Appropriations Committee's meeting in which they passed and included a series of positive immigration changes with the assistance of the Republican chairman in that appropriations bill. Right. Uh, it's possible. There are still people in Congress, Republicans, that get this issue. But unfortunately, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the Unfreedom Caucus have managed to put their, their grubby little fingers in all the pies and have managed to stop any affirmative piece of legislation that could have positive change, including something as simple as trading green cards for DACA kids for the damn wall. Exactly. I mean, you and I think the wall is stupid. What a, what a massive waste of $25 billion, but who cares at this point? You know, It's money. It does, it's irrelevant at this point, apparently, to the GOP. Right. Just give the DACA kids a green card. No. Because I want more. I want more. Uh, and this is the game we have to be very, very careful of politically, that we don't allow this, this, this faction, uh, which, is a, which is a tail of, of the dog, to seize control of the dog. Exactly. We must separate theater from reality 
and vote appropriately. Right. And, and this is why somebody like Jim Jordan is scary as a potential speaker. That should motivate enough for Democrats to get out and vote for their Democratic candidates because you can't afford to have Jim Jordan as your speaker. The guy is nuts. Besides, besides covering up, you know, uh, sexual misconduct, he's, he's terrible on these issues. And exactly. I, I, the question becomes, how, how do candidates motivate people to get to the polls? Uh, how do they get out? How do they do that? To me, immigration is a core issue. I'm not a single-issue voter, but immigration is a core issue for me. Um, and, but I understand that if, if I can't elect my the, the person that best focuses my in, uh, belief on immigration, I at least have to try to influence those that are elected. Exactly and that right. we can't give up lobbying, we can't give up calling, we can't keep it going to town halls, or being vocal on Facebook or Twitter or other social media about what helps us move our agenda forward. Right. Now, even if immigration isn't your core issue, due process should fairness be. should be your core value. Yeah. And then you vote along making sure who's going to maintain that, because moving it from immigration to another arena is a very easy thing to do. Immigration is the canary in the coal mine. Exactly. And what happens to immigrants, what happens to, and, and you know, Jesus talked about this, I don't know if people remember Jesus, uh, but he talked about this, you do this unto the least of these, you do it unto me. Exactly. Immigrants, in many situations, are the least of these. And and that's what just stuns me. And the last thing I want to talk about here, Dallin, you, you have this coming in your, in your office all the time, people comes in, and it's some good old boy, it's some you know guy had been been around for forever, and he wants you to help Juan. Can you help Juan get a green card? Because Juan, he's like key to my fabric, my factory, my business, my whatever it happens to be. And you go, sir, um, Juan is undocumented. Juan has zero options to get legal because you voted for the guys that don't want him to get legal. And they go, well, I didn't vote for that person. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, and here's what you could if you want to if you want to make sure Juan gets a green card or Maria gets a green card or becomes legal, here's what you need to do. You don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to your congressman and your senator to make that happen. So, uh, Alan, I want you to tell everybody your website because it's a goody website. Uh, and uh, or immigration. And, sp- and or is o is o r r. It's o r r, not o a r. It's o r r. Alan, you look l l e n or o r r. Um, and then Esquire is uh, on Twitter. And, and you're I'm in Washington, D.C.? I'm in Washington, uh, D.C. for now. For now, for now. We're waiting for you to come back to the South, my friend. It's just wide open down here for you. Uh, if there's any that s- new governor. Well, I hope that new governor, she is going to be awesome, is all I can tell you. Uh, my, my, my colleague here, David, he doesn't think so, but he's going to end up voting for her. I just know he is. Uh, he's, a, he's a big fan, big fan. Um, <laughs> I just potentially drive him crazy every day. Um, and uh, how many more years till you're Ailer president? We've got two left. Three. Three. Alan, it's worth it. Kind of. <laughs> it's kind of worth it. Uh, but you're going to have an amazing impact, not only on our association. Uh, you will be our first African American president. Uh, which is just awesome. Uh, but it's also at a time of extraordinary division. You know what's funny? I was ALA president the, the last year that George Bush was president. And, of course, it's like, oh, my God. You know, we gave out copies of the Constitution. He's eviscerating the Constitution. Oh, my I pine for the days of George Bush. <laughs> Exactly. Today, we all do. Uh, you know, we all do. And you think, oh my gosh, what was I thinking back then? So there's, there's gonna, you're going to be president then right after the election. Yes. Uh, and so you could either have an amazing year 
or you can have one hell of a time, my friend. Well, it's going to be an amazing year. It is going to, I think it's going to be an amazing year. If anything I can do about it, it's certainly going to be an amazing year. Yeah, uh, any last words of wisdom you want to give to our listeners out there? I think, well, this is the most important thing that I can say besides voting, is sometimes you have to run for office. Mm-hmm. And in the long haul game for me is to move back to Georgia and run for office. Well, we want you here to do that, my friend. We need you here to do that. So when you move here, you let me know. We'll get the office set up. All right. All right. Alan Orr, thank you for joining us today on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. This is, Alan, if you didn't know, this is the most listened to podcast in the known universe on immigration. Wow. Or so David tells me. I I have actually no idea. But uh, David tells me, so I trust him on that, like I trust him on everything. Until next week, this shows Charles Cook on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration.